0: You guys can be seated. We're in Psalm 60 this morning. So I'm gonna read that for us and then Wes is gonna come give us the word. Psalm 60 says, Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You've torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. With exultation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the veil of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my washbasin. Upon Edom, I will cast my shoe. Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go forth, O God, with our enemies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this brief time of worship. Thank you for preparing our hearts to receive your instruction. Your perfect word, I thank you for um, our minds and hearts that are ready to receive by the power of your spirit. I pray that you would anoint Wes this morning with your words, wisdom that comes only from you, Would you impart to us um, knowledge and understanding that we wouldn't just be puffed up with it, but that it would lead to transformed hearts, transformed lives. For the sake of your name we ask this all in the name of jesus amen
1: amen thank you amber um and thanks to the band that was just super super fun super encouraging time of singing together um i love it when the spirit of god moves even in our preparation and uh we sang that song uh it's your breath and our lungs so we pour out our praise and man that's so tied up in what we're going to be talking about this morning. So, um, yeah, thank you, Josh and Jen, for your sensitivity to the Spirit this week, even in helping us to prepare our hearts and minds through singing. Excuse me. So, um, this is a crazy, crazy passage, and we're going to dig into it, and I think have a lot of... uh, I think the Lord has something to say to us through it. Um, So, we all go through dark seasons, right? Like, it, there are those times in life when it seems like we're just not going to be able to press on in obedience to God. We're not going to be able to keep fighting the fight of faith. And this psalm finds Israel in that very spot, okay? And so we're going to look at their petition to God, God's promise to them, and ultimately his power to deliver, okay? Okay. So uh, if you're finding yourself in a a moment or in a season of pain and struggling uh, where it's hard to believe, this psalm is for you. And if you're not, the psalm is still for you because we all will go through those seasons, right? Um, But I want to start with something a little bit lighter, kind of get our our heads into this story. Uh, Does anybody have a favorite story, like a book or a movie or TV series that just love to read it or watch it over and over again, think about that story. It doesn't really matter how many times you've read that book or, or seen that movie series. Like for my family, it's The Lord of the Rings. Like we could watch the extended series yearly, at least. Like my four-year-old daughter can sing all of Schmiegel's songs, right? So, um, and she's really good at it. But uh, when, you, when you find that good story, even though you know the end, you can still like totally put yourself in it, right? It's still fun to read it, Uh, it still moves you, okay? And what we find today is a story, a very artistic telling of a story, that's only half over, and we just get dropped right in the middle of it. Uh, It looks like there's no hope for survival, Um, like the odds are very much stacked against Israel, it seems. But the Lord, in the midst of that, speaks a promise of deliverance, and His people believe that promise, they receive it, and they fight as though their deliverance is sure. And even though they hadn't seen the end yet when they heard this song, we know from 2 Samuel 8 and 1 Chronicles 18, which are the historical context of this psalm, that God did deliver them. They won these battles, just like God had promised them through this psalm, okay? So when they get the song, they're in the midst of the battle, but we know the end of the story, they win which for me makes the story even better, right? Um, so something I think that's super cool is actually in the introduction to the psalm. So it's kind of like the pretext here. Uh, we learned that this is a song, so let's read that. Uh, it says, to the choir master, according to this song none of us have heard, a miktam of David for instruction when he strove with these two countries, and when Joab, on his return, struck down 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. Okay, so the thing I think is cool is that we we learn right here, this is a song to be sung, and it's intended for instruction. So, like, David is saying to the choir master, uh, like, what if today I, I came in in the morning, I was like, hey, Josh, I know that you prepared to sing, greater you, Lord, problem, I just rewrote all the lyrics to it, though, so sing those instead, that's basically what David did. So he said, hey, I wrote these lyrics, just set it to a song everybody already knows, and then start singing this a lot to teach people something. Uh, Paul tells the church in Ephesians 5 that we can remind each other of the truths of God by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that by doing that, uh, it'll actually help us to know the will of God. Uh, It helps us not be foolish or drunk, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So like literally the formula or the advice that Paul gives for following Jesus in the context of a faith family necessarily includes singing songs. Not just because it's fun to celebrate, but because it's good for our minds and for equipping us to obey God to sing. Have you ever wondered why we sing so much in church? Like this is a pretty unique setting. What if we went to like a corporate meeting and the CEO was like, okay, we're all gonna sing the song that reminds us of our vision statement. Like that'd be weird, right? So we sing a lot in church. Why don't we just put the words up on the screen and we could just all read them, maybe read them aloud together. Why do we have to sing them? It's because music has this incredible ability to help us feel the way that we should while we think about these great truths of the Bible. Uh, we sing about who God is and what he's done and what he's going to do. It's true that he loves the praises of his people. like He likes it when we sing. But it's also true that we, like, know it better. Uh, we actually get it more if we think it and feel it, and so he has us sing it. Uh, a song is a place where our heads and our hearts can agree on the reality of God. Okay, but so there's a problem in that, too, because something, sometimes we sing things that aren't our present or felt reality, right? Why do we do that? It's because we want to feel those truths. We want to realize them. It's good to sing happy songs when we're sad because it can help to lift our spirits to match the reality of what we're celebrating, okay? It's also good to sing songs that accurately represent our negative circumstances, just like this song. Uh, one of my favorite hymns is one by Isaac Watts called Death Has Lost Its Sting. And guys, it's dark, like it's a heavy hymn. But it gives me words to express my emotions sometimes. It says, my God, how many are my fears, how fast my foes increase. Conspiring my eternal death, they break my fleeting peace. What a way to start a hymn to sing in church, right? The lying tempter would persuade my heart to doubt your aid, and all my swelling sins appear much greater than your grace. Arise, O Lord fulfill thy grace while I thy glory sing. My God has broke the serpent's teeth and death has lost its sting. Oh, that's so good. You can see what that's my favorite, right? Like, we go through those times when we're just feeling like, is God going to forgive me? Like, my sin is just piling up. I don't even know if I believe this gospel anymore. And we, we can have songs like this that help us to express that in a way that pleads with God to rescue us. So music can give proper emotion to express the truth, and it can give proper words to express emotion. And all of that is to say that God uses songs to teach us, and that's what we're dealing with in Psalm 60. David's going to have the song distributed so that people can know that God has shared an oracle of deliverance. I suspect they would probably sing it while they were getting ready for the battle, And the idea was it would give them courage to fight because there's a promise that they'll win if we want to take a closer look at the passage and i hope you keep your bibles open to it um, we can tell from the context that david's armies are really struggling Uh, they feel like god has rejected them and abandoned them this idea in verse 3 about drinking wine and staggering that's a common image in the old testament that represents god's wrath his judgment Remember, Jesus actually prayed in the garden the night that he was betrayed, that God would take this cup from me. He was was asking, like, I don't want to bear the wrath of God. So the people feel abandoned and alone and without hope. They feel like God has turned on them. And then in the midst of that, God makes them a promise. God speaks through a prophet, and he tells the people, it's going to be okay. He says, hey, I've got this. Verse 6 says that God spoke in his holiness, and that's not just a reference to the fact that God is holy, which he is, but it's a common way to let the audience know this is a message from God about their specific situation. Okay, so you can see David in verses 4 drawing out implications from the message. Like he's going, hey, these things are true about God. But what God actually says is here in verses 6 to 8. He's basically saying, hey, all these peoples that you're afraid of, yeah, their land is mine, and I'll do what I want with them. And by the way, I'll use whoever I want to make it happen. That's why he starts by talking about Israel. It's like, hey, you guys are mine, your enemies are mine, I'm in control of all of this. And we know, like I said earlier, from the historical context, that God used the people of Israel to to make good on this promise. He actually used the people themselves to win the battle. the the very people who start this song singing, asking for God's help, are the ones he uses to win win these battles. And, And what I want us to see there is God's not prevented by anything from doing what he wants. The book of Job tells us that no plan of God's can be thwarted. If he intends to do something, it's sure. But here's the deal. God doesn't play by our rules, okay? Like We're playing checkers, and he's playing 3D chess, okay? He's going to deliver his people. He says that, so that's sure, but his people don't get to dictate to him how it's supposed to go down. That's not the way it works in God's economy. I want to make that point really clear. We're going to look at Revelation 6 together. Revelation is a fascinating book, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 11, so I think that'll be on the screen. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So these are martyrs, okay? And they cried out with a loud voice, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true. Okay, so they're calling on God who's in control of all things. O oh, sovereign Lord, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're, they're asking for justice, and then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. What? Like, that's a bizarre response to God. How long before you give us justice? He's like, well, more of you got to die first. Like, that's supposed to be encouraging? The book of Revelation was literally written to encourage the church's of Asia Minor who were under persecution, and God's like, hey, I know your friends have died, and I'm going to make sure that the people who killed them get what's coming to them, but I'm storing up wrath, and even more people are going to need to die, maybe even some of you who are reading this letter, before I'm ready to come and mop the floor with these guys. So, I I bring that up because that's a very different non-Western, non-American way of viewing like the things that will come about. We're we're all kind of programmed to see ourselves as the hero of our own story, but we're not. We're supporting characters at best, and that's like a big at best. Um, God is the hero, and as he's telling the story, he lets things get really bad. Like, spoiler alert, at one point, God lets the hero literally die. Okay, so he's letting things get just totally hopeless. The plot thickens, the tensions rise, and then he rescues, right? Like, when we go, oh, so the hero of the story's dead, is that the end? Then Jesus rises from the dead. Like, that's how far God lets it go before he steps in. He's not just stronger and better than the forces that oppose us. He's impossibly stronger. He's impossibly better. He is a glorious victor, and he desires to let the story really show that. And we have to think differently in order to really accept that, because we don't like the idea that we're playing a part in a story rather than writing our own story. John Calvin wrote about this psalm. He said, the deliverance which comes to us in this manner—is this? I think is on the screen. Yeah, so check this out. The deliverance which comes to us in this manner— through human agency—so people working things out—must properly be ascribed to God. And all that David meant to assert is that such confidences as are not derived from God are worthless and vain. Those who arrogate the least fraction of strength to themselves apart from God only ruin themselves through their own pride. So the sooner we start seeing our lives and our circumstances through the lens of reality, through the vantage point that God is good and he's in control of everything, the sooner we'll begin to live with less stress and less anxiety, the sooner we'll take hold of an unshakable hope and peace in Jesus. If we, if we keep clinging to our own idea about how things should go, we are setting ourselves up for failure. But if we can let go of that and hold tightly to Christ and accept that he's in charge of everything, that he's good, that's when we get to have this unshakable hope and peace. Even in our darkest moments, when everything is just stacking up against us, we'll be able to say, even though I walk through the valley, of fear no evil, for you are with me. Okay, so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let's get back to the story because it's something cool here. In verse 8, this is probably my favorite verse in the whole passage. God talks about casting his shoes upon Edom, and I cracked up about that. Like, that reminds me of when the Iraqi reporter threw his shoes at George W. Bush. Do you guys remember? I mean, he, nobody was hurt, so it was just funny. Um, but it actually can be kind of the idea here, that God is actually expressing his contempt for Edom, Israel's enemy. And I love that, because at the beginning of this psalm, we have Israel complaining that God is showing contempt for them, right? They're saying, like, you're, you're against us. You hate us. And God's saying, actually, no. I have contempt for your enemy. I'm about to throw my shoe at those guys, right? I don't know about you. I would not want to be on the receiving end of that boot. I mean, that's a hard shoe throw, right? But there's beauty in it, isn't there? God's grace to his people right when they think he's against them, right when they think we're done for. He says, oh, I'm not against you. I'm against your enemies. I'm fighting for you. God has all power and all authority, and he uses it to accomplish his plans, and his desire is for our good. That's a great gift and a blessing to us. Now, what this psalm has for us is exactly the same thing it had for Israel. It teaches us, it motivates us to press on and persevere, because our story often looks just like their story did here. And when we we get to hold on to God's promise of salvation to carry us and push us through our darkest seasons, we're realizing the promises of this passage. We should absolutely see ourselves in this story and, and hear God declaring his promises to us through this psalm. We're facing an enemy much more terrible than the Edomites or the Philistines. And God is telling us that even when all the odds are stacked against us, when it seems like we ought to throw in the towel, he's saying, hang in there, I've got this. And that gives us hope and strength to press on. That's what Israel did. They heard the song. This is a song of their deliverance, and they believed it. And they fought hard and won the battle. It was God who won it, but he won it through their hard work. We have to take that home with us. So I know it's hot, but if if you've sort of dozed off, like come back to me a, a minute, okay? Uh, we need to take this part home. We need to take it to the office tomorrow. That God's sovereignty and my will or my volition are not at odds with each other. His power over all things should motivate us to persevere and motivate us to work harder because the victory is sure. It's a guaranteed win. If your response to the idea that God is in control is that you just want to sit back and do nothing because God's got this, you have no idea what the power of God is. And and you probably not really fully experienced the power of God's grace in your life either. Why do you think the New Testament says make your calling and election sure? Paul says in Philippians 2, Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Get to work, he says. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we see the power of God and our own will, not at odds with one another, but actually the power of God fueling us to press on in obedience to him. So we're in the middle of the story too, aren't we? Just like Israel. And we often feel defeated and beat down in the midst of the fight. And sometimes it seems like the only thing we can do is give up fighting and give up hope and give up faith. But in our darkest moments, God speaks a promise to us. The promises of his word are living and active today. And he says in Romans 8, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let that sink in. He says, for those whom I foreknew, I also predestined to be conformed to the image of my son in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's us, friends. He says, those whom I predestined, I also called, and those whom I called, I also justified, and those whom I justified, I also glorified. Whoa, he used past tense to refer to something that we have not experienced yet. I'm telling you, he is playing by a different set of rules, okay? It is finished. That means it's done. We live in this already but not yet reality of our conquering king, Jesus, the lamb who was slain on our behalf, who was raised from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection. That means we are to follow him. Like, we have a garden and we picked some zucchinis recently. There's going to be a lot more zucchinis if you know anything about zucchini plants, right? And that's what he's saying here. He's like, oh, you just picked the first fruit of resurrection. There's a lot more to come, and that's promised to us. Jesus is our king, and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father even now, interceding on our behalf. Jesus, whose kingdom is advancing, and the very gates of hell itself will not stand against the advancing of his kingdom. Jesus, whose return is promised by a God for whom it is impossible to lie, a covenant sealed in his own blood. Jesus who gave us his spirit as a seal to preserve us for his certain return. His power lives in us. Friends, Jesus is coming back for his people. That gives us hope. That gives us great strength to persevere in any trial. Because it's, it's guaranteed win, Right? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promise to us. Thank you for permission to petition you when things are tough. Thank you for the hope and the power that we have in your spirit to hang on to your promises. That you propel us forward. Your love compels us to act. Lord, I pray that for my my friends this morning. That we would have power from your spirit this week to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To hold tightly to the faith that we've received to stand firm against the opposition and the lies of the enemy. Lord, thank you for giving us everything we need in Christ. Thank you for speaking to us in your word, and we, we ask that you would continue to move us and strengthen us for obedience, um, that we would be encouraged by the gathering of the saints this morning, Lord, that we would leave with a sense that you are for us. You've got this. Lord, I know many in our congregation are dealing with very dark and trying times right now, and we ask for your comfort and your peace to be upon them. Lord, help us as a faith family to bear one another's burdens through these times. And God, as you deliver all praise and honor and glory be to Christ. In his name, amen.